1: This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.
0: Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's Real Health, I won't lie, I am absolutely very excited. This is going to be epic. We're going to be talking about weight loss surgery. It's a topic we have touched on before on the podcast, but this week we're taking a deeper dive and bringing you absolutely everything you need to know about the procedure. There's now a general acceptance that the eat less, move more approach to dealing with complex obesity really isn't suitable, which means treatments like biotric surgery are getting more attention. But what exactly is involved and what do people need to know before they undergo the procedure? Joining me to discuss this is consultant biotric surgeon at St. Vincent's University Hospital, Helen heenan Helen. I am really excited. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Carl. I'm delighted to be here and and that you're addressing this um, really um, interesting, I think, uh, and important topic.
0: Oh, it's a fascinating topic and it's a topic that it's becoming more applicable to Mm -hmm. people all across the country as the population grows and grows and grows. First of all, let's just set, set it out. What is it? People will hear that term all the time. So let, let's start there in terms of what exactly it is.
1: Yeah, it's really important to define it because there are a lot of myths about bariatric surgery and I might start with saying what it isn't. Yeah, so great. it isn't cosmetic surgery um, and it isn't just gastric banding. So I often get referrals for patients for gastric banding or, you know, it's not a tummy tuck. It's none of those things. It's surgery on the gut that helps people to lose weight. But more importantly, it, it increases people's health and function and quality of life. So it might be better termed, you know, health gain surgery. Um, We often call it metabolic surgery as well because that better defines what it does. The weight loss that that is um, quite significant from it is almost a secondary benefit. It's all of the health improvements and there are many weight independent mechanisms by which it works. So there's many other benefits than weight loss that we see even before, you know, within hours or, or days of surgery, such as remission of type 2 diabetes, improvement in blood pressure, cholesterol. They happen hours after uh, these operations. So essentially about, back to what it is specifically it's operations where we change either the shape or the um, root of the gastrointestinal tract. So the commonest operations most of them are done by laparoscopic or keyhole surgery almost exclusively um, uh, now. So it's, it's minimally invasive surgery um, and uh, the most common procedures at the moment and the most effective ones would be gastric bypass surgery and sleeve gastrectomy. So we no longer perform uh, gastric banding as a routine operation it was very popular about 20-30 years ago probably for the wrong reasons Carly, it can be effective in a very small number of patients but it was the safest operation on the day of surgery Two three decades ago, and the
0: which, gas- which was a band around uh, the stomach, yeah,
1: a silicone band that's adjustable, a bit like um, a tyre, I suppose. You could put water or saline fluid into it and take it out of it through a little port that's hidden under the skin. So to make it tighter or looser as needed. And the idea behind it was that it helped people. It was placed really high in the stomach, so it created a gastric pouch or a, a small stomach, so people felt full really quickly. And it does. I mean, it's an effective operation. It's very safe, but it's the that carries probably the longest uh, or that sorry, the highest long term uh, risk. So only if you look, the uh, most recent data would indicate that of all people who have gastric bands, about two thirds of people need them removed within eight years, usually because of complications like the band moving slightly. The stomach is a very mobile organ. As we uh, breathe, our stomach is moving up and down. So having a fixed band around it um, is not ideal. So the stomach moves within it and sometimes that can force the band to co- go just ever so slightly differently which can cause reflux heartburn difficulty swallowing solid foods and, and arguably healthy foods and people can maladjust to that um, and actually you know gain weight with them in that in that instance um, and it causes um, significant trouble with the motility of the esophagus um, which is damaging in the long term um, and for majority of people they just don't work because people find ways around them you know essentially gastric banding doesn't change gut hormone um, production doesn't really change Microbiome, so it doesn't have a lot of the other, the benefits of other bariatric surgeries okay. like the bypass. So and that's like the, the old school
0: one, yeah. Not re- so just th- make it feel not full. really done anymore. Gastric band, band the exactly. tummy. Generally, yeah. after eight, eight years or so, you're getting it adjusted or taken out or whatever. And okay,
1: or have had no benefit. Okay, you know and then sleeve is the next one so the sleeve gastrectomy has really become probably the most popular operation internationally over the last two 15 years Um, uh, it's a simpler and slightly safer operation than the gastric bypass and involves removing about three quarters of the stomach so um, it focuses only on the stomach and there's no change to all of the small small bowel that would be involved with a bypass so it carries slightly less risk but for that reason slightly less benefit as well so the weight loss is very similar to the gastric bypass in the short term. So for the first two to three years, weight loss from a sleeve gastrectomy is about twenty-five to thirty percent of one's pre-op weight, right. so quite significant. Uh, but there's a higher chance of gaining, regaining weight uh, mm-hmm. than with a gastric bypass. So uh, as we've, you know, we know obesity is a disease, and you know, I can talk about that later on. And that's really important to, um, I suppose, having good treatment programs in place for it. Acknowledging it's a disease is important, um, but um, the um, with the it's a chronic disease that's you can't really cure you know and it's taken me a long time to accept that I think yeah. when I started out doing this I thought because of the great results that we see I probably hadn't been doing it long enough to see weight regain so I thought everybody was cured of obesity and that's not true people live with obesity lifelong and like any chronic disease you um, can treat it uh, keep it in remission I guess but there's always a risk of weight regain and that is slightly higher with the sleeve gastrectomy within the gastric bypass and what
0: causes the weight regain with the sleeve then why why is that the one that people yeah, tend to put weight back on with. Because
1: the stomach, on a lot of people think, oh, has my sleeve, has my small stomach. And just for context, we change the shape of the stomach from what would be quite typically the size of a rugby ball in all of us right now. It's about that length or stomach and about that diameter if it was stretched out and we change it to the shape and size of banana, you know, so it goes down to being about two and a half centimetres wide which is well enough to fit a nutrient rich small meal and, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and it's well enough stomach to to survive on and, and feel, you know, eat enough and be really healthy with. Um, but it rarely stretches out, you know, and we, we do investigate people for that and see could you, you know, reduce the size even more. But It's again, multifactorial. It's the same reasons that often led to weight gain in the first instance. It's being genetically predisposed to it. And then I suppose in an environment which is obesogenic and and helps people put on weight really easily. So people do get there's a honeymoon period with these surgeries where there's about two years where people are, you know, less hungry, feel really full. And that can wane. Over time, so we, you know, often can change sleeve gastrectomy to a gastric bypass or to another surgery where you add in a component of malabsorption. So reroute the small bowel, change it essentially to a gastric bypass, um, or a more malabsorptive operation. But, um, the risk that comes with that is is higher than with the first operation. So now with the great advances in medication for obesity. We add them in afterwards if someone experiences weight regain and they can be quite powerful in addressing that again. So we have lots of options. and and But the sleeve, I suppose it was first introduced as a stepping stone to a gastric bypass where people had too high BMI or too great abdominal obesity mm-hmm. to have a gastric bypass safely uh, at the first operation. So it was considered the right approach was a two stage approach. So do a sleeve gastrectomy. Wait a year, get good weight loss, and then change it to a gastric bypass when
0: chat us through the bypass. Then.
1: Yeah, so the bypass involves, I suppose, two steps. So the first step is making the stomach smaller. So separating a piece of the stomach we now have um, from the what we would eventually call the gastric remnant, the part that's left out of circuit. And then the second step is rearranging the small bowel. So food essentially then takes a shortcut through the gut and it doesn't pass through the majority, about 80 percent of the stomach. And the first half of meet, half a metre of small bowel, It that's in, completely rested indefinitely. Um, so, you know, it's the best example of um, uh, um, uh, intermittent fasting, I suppose. You know, we know <laughs> all the benefits of that. We know and, and a lot of we've realised that a lot of the, the benefits of that through understanding how gastric bypass surgery works so well. If you rest an entire segment of gut for prolonged periods of time, you get great changes in gut hormones and mm-hmm. the gut microbiome and bile acid uh, production and absorption, uh, and they have great benefits for health and for weight. So gastric bypass, you leave a good segment of the bowel rested indefinitely. Um, And you have well enough bowel to absorb nutrients uh, and macro and micronutrients left in circuit. Um, But it's that bowel rest and excluding a part of the small bowel and the stomach from uh, absorption of nutrients and from food hitting the mucosa of that bowel. That's really significant in terms of understanding how the operation works. So you do have restriction as well in terms of having a stomach pouch that's about the size of, I suppose, a small fist or an egg. um, so you have a small capacity um, but you also have hormone changes in the gut that lead to complete lack of hunger and um, complete changes in your food preferences so there's good evidence from our own unit that demonstrates that people who are put in buffet environments pre and post surgery uh, not being aware that they're being observed their food choices completely change to being more protein rich you know and that's um, I suppose uh, uh, you know uh, uh, it's un- unintentional in a way yeah, yeah. it's just involuntary I suppose the better word and so they prefer healthier food choices after surgery and that's all chemically driven
0: fascinating Mm. take a breath you haven't you've been absolutely (laughs) streaming content i'm I'm, I'm like a sponge trying to take all this content in it's fascinating okay Mm. so they're they're the three different types that's really beneficial for people straight away to 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 know the difference between them chat me around the demand then within on a national level
1: so, the, the, I mean, there's huge demand for it. If you demand it depends on, I suppose, who's eligible and who wants it, you know. So okay. I suppose in terms of people eligible for surgery, we don't even have a, a good idea of that. The best data that indicates demand at the moment comes from Roseanne Kenny's TILDA study. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, on yeah. Weeks ago. yeah. Uh, and that, bear in mind, that only includes adults over the age of 50, but it had very good weight data and BMI data in it uh, and data on their health conditions, um, as well. So if you were to look at eligibility criteria for bariatric surgery and they're they driven by when it's safe. So when do the benefits outweigh the risks? Mm-hmm. And that happens generally when BMI is over 35 and there's a health related problem uh, like uh, diabetes, hypertension, cardiac disease, sleep apnea. There's, you know, as don't know what said before, 200 conditions now linked to obesity. Um, so, but you're eligible with any of those conditions and a BMI over 35 or even if BMI is 40 and you've no health condition at that time the benefits of surgery would outweigh the risks so knowing that means that if you apply those criteria to the tilda data set there A are huge population yeah, so right now there'd be 100,000 and so even if you were to be really strict and ration surgery to only people with type 2 diabetes because arguably they probably are the most cost effective mm-hmm. group of people to treat because medications for diabetes are quite expensive so with diabetes alone you've 93,000 people you know in the, the in that one recent enough epidemiological study uh, that used the Tilda set to ask exactly this question and if you were to be even stricter and we said look we only have money to do you know the sickest people who will get the most benefit and we took people with type 2 diabetes, BMI over 35 and a complication of diabetes so kidney disease, eye disease, heart disease there's about um, or there's there's 92 you know there's there's actually there's 13,000 of those people straight away today Um, but that's only Adults over the age of fifty. Mm-hmm. And most bariatric populations are have an average age of about 47, 48. If you look at all bariatric literature around the world, the average age of patients who undergo it is younger than that. So I think we're underestimating underestimating it hugely um, because we just don't have good weight data on, on the Irish population. You know, it's they're done through surveys obviously every um four to five years, and it's usually self-reported data, but we need to have a better idea of that. We know there's about a million people who have BMI over 30 in Ireland um, so you know probably 80% of people with BMI over 30 are going to be vulnerable to or have a health complication mm-hmm. related to their weight and um, so that's where obesity becomes severe and complex and they're the people who would benefit from bariatric surgery so I would estimate it's in tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people who would be eligible whether they want it or not or it's the right treatment for them is more complex.
0: Um, and can I in, On a national level then what's our capacity for surgery?
1: Oh, We do the worst, sadly, in the Western world in terms of our provision of surgery for those who are eligible. So we we currently provide it for less than point one percent of people who are eligible. So we're only do there's only one functioning public service at the moment. That's our service in uh, Vincent's and Lachlanstown. And we're doing about a hundred a year and the only surgeon that uh, was a hundred a year. Yeah. Yeah, a waiting certainly.
0: list of a couple of hundred hundreds. Thousands?
1: yeah well, well you know, sorry, not a list potentially. potentially yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there is a service um, that's almost compl- uh, that's not fully funded in Galway but that will change that's right. we have had good news in the last week I guess that uh, the HSE one in
0: Cork coming I think is there yeah
1: the HSE yeah. have finally um, confirmed uh, that there will be funding dedicated to bariatric surgery to allow the service to expand nationally and absolutely that'll allow us to in Vincent's to increase our numbers it'll allow Galway to the, the unit in Galway to, to start, you know, turning through their waiting list, which is about 700 people. Um, and that hasn't even addressed people waiting to get into the service and then to initiate a service in Cork. Um, so it'll become more accessible um, in a timely fashion to people around the country. But we have a waiting list of about four and a half years to get a first appointment in our clinic at the moment, because there's uh, this last check a few weeks ago, there was almost 3000 people waiting to be seen in the clinic. And, um, oh you know, God. so it's a really small team of people that deliver wow. this care and it is complex. So people deserve the time multidisciplinary approach to do it safely. Folks, you're listening to Real
0: Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. We're chatting all things obesity It is and surgery. It's absolutely fascinating and mind blowing. It's, it's yeah. Wow. And it, it is important for those listening in. Uh, Helen has no notes with her whatsoever. This is all just. Straight off the cuff in terms of content, which is wonderful as a an interviewer, but someone to get someone that expert who, who knows your topic as well as you do. It's important to say that, the, and it's a good thing I think that the the how we we treat obesity has changed, or the view on obesity that we have. You're not obese now; you have obesity. It's a condition, and that it that move you know that move more, eat less approach for those over a certain BMI or or, or a certain weight range. It does the. It's not particularly applicable for them because the benefits from it, while well, moving you, you know, you have stronger muscles, you'll be healthier, the better. But a weight loss perspective, doesn't actually deliver the the required results.
1: Not for enough people, guys. You're absolutely right. Like I think eat less, move more is probably a good preventative approach. But when um, obesity, but when people live with obesity and have certainly developed a health complication from it, it needs to be. It's beyond that. It, it needs treatment. There's a number of people, probably less than ten percent people with obesity. Can achieve significant weight loss enough to benefit their health um, uh, and sustain that in the long term without any medical intervention. So without either getting, you know, a, a, an intensive weight management program where you offered medication and surgery. So it's not effective for the ma- for the majority of people who. Um, but you'll hear stories of people who have managed that um, through diet. And, and there will be stages. one,
0: uh, as with any element of the population, there will be one, two or three people who can do it and you have done it who might I think it's
1: yeah it's very unfair on patients who have tried that multiple times and Absolutely people can like patients who come for surgery have lost weight many many they've lost stones and stones over and over again but you know we, we, and we it's well understood now we know that when you eat less and significantly reduce your calorie intake you're you know you get a rapid change in gut hormones that trigger that part of your brain that you have no control over the hypothalamus um, to make you more hungry to decrease your metabolic rate to adjust to that your body is designed to prevent you losing weight to maintain your weight so everything is uh, you know going against you to maintain weight loss so you know it's it's important that people acknowledge that it isn't their fault if they haven't managed to keep weight off that they've previously lost and that there are medical treatments available and you're right there has been a uh, you know a long overdue shift in our understanding of obesity and um, calling it a disease which it absolutely is is really important in terms of um, getting people I suppose reducing the stigma first and foremost that is so prevalent uh, around obesity um, and secondly then to uh, allow good treatment programs to be put in place there isn't a you know obesity you could say it's the most common chronic disease in Ireland and until last week I suppose the only one who, that didn't have a funded treatment program is you know so asthma has a, a treatment program COPD does hypertension um, and obesity was just for for a long time left for people to deal with themselves, even when it was significantly impacting their health. And um, so I'm really delighted that it is getting the, you know, I suppose, funding that it deserves to so that, that people deserve when they live with this disease and have struggled with it for a long time, that they now have potential opportunity to access good, effective, safe treatments.
0: Chat to me about the importance of the psychology assessment. And you know, it, it is a really again. It, it comes back to it's not just move more, eat less. And for, this is for all of us, by the way. This the psychology of eating. Why we, uh, you know, in terms of for surgery, there, you are assessed before you go in. Tell me about why and why it's so important.
1: Yeah, I'd argue it's probably the most important part of the assessment. Like bariatric assessment for bariatric surgery requires multidisciplinary team assessment, and usually that consists of uh, assessment by a dietitian and by no, nobody comes to bariatric surgery without having tried non-surgical options that are less risky and bariatric surgery is very safe but nonetheless if you had an option that didn't involve being you know having a knife put to your skin you would choose it you know and uh, but um, so everybody has tried that before and then for bariatric surgery it is can be hugely destabilizing to change someone's relationship with food indefinitely so psychology assessment is really important to make sure that a patient I suppose is uh, suitable for surgery that they um, you know have the coping skills required to have their relationship with food change for many people um, uh, it has been a, you know food is a comfort it is for for all of us it's Im- implicated in every social interaction uh, that we have and it's a huge part of relationships with um, partners with family with friends um, it's often quite central it's central to every big event that we have so all of a sudden you change someone's relationship with food uh, if they aren't prepared that is really detrimental um, and that's why it's so important to go into surgery well prepared and assessed by a psychologist firstly make sure yep you, you have the coping skills required you have other coping skills and food uh, to deal with traumas that inevitably crop up throughout life. and secondly that someone is prepared you know they know what to expect and they know that when life throws them different challenges they how they can meet those uh, without resorting to I suppose comfort eating or food to, to cope with that. Um, uh, and secondly like there's no you know there are very few contraindications to surgery um, and certainly any psych- pre-existing psychological illness is not a contraindication to surgery but it's important that it's well managed. You know, so the psychologist also addresses people who have disordered eating and um, that's identified and treated also by the dietitian, and they work in tandem. You know, we do work as a team. I'd, I'd argue as well, actually, that the surgeon is probably the least important member of the team. We have our bit on the day of surgery, but in terms of patient selection and preparation beforehand and then afterwards, it's the psychologist and dietitian do a lot of the, the, the work uh, in getting patients well prepared uh, for it.
0: Chat me about the the travelling for surgery component to it. I know we had someone on, you know, a couple of months ago, a uh, really interesting guest. She went abroad. Since then, it's been a lot of stuff in the news around it, people having complications. You're seeing this on the front line. So I'm fascinated with your view on it. And But what you're seeing uh, on the front line in terms of people who are going away for surgery and coming back I'm intrigued by your own thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, so I, I completely understand why people go. You know, they feel when they've looked into it and, you know, it's a very safe and effective treatment, first and foremost. And people are smart enough to do their homework and they acknowledge and understand that it is not a quick fix. Um, it's probably the hardest treatment to pursue and to undergo because for the most part, it's irreversible um, and uh, it has a risk that dieting and that medications don't have. Um, so, and I understand that people can't they feel they can't wait for five years to get an appointment in our clinic or if they were to seek it privately it's too expensive. What's the cost privately here? so health insurance does cover it but if okay. someone doesn't have health insurance it, it covers it under the conditions I, me- I mentioned earlier so when BMI is um, a certain number yeah. and have health problems and have been through a defined period of non-operative weight management mm-hmm. beforehand and have had all the assessments that I mentioned as well so there's a number of criteria applied um, but then it does it does cover it and then if someone was to self-pay in Ireland it's between about sixteen and 18000 so it's really really expensive okay. and it's cheaper abroad you know so it's a People can get um deals, you know, I've seen them um advertised sleeve gastrectomy for 3000 um in different clinics around Europe. So my worry about that is I suppose I have a I have a biased view of it because I see back the complications and I probably don't see back as many people um who have, you know, gotten through unscathed and mm. who have had a, the, the usual result we would see, which is great weight loss, improvement in health, the mobility and quality of life, um, and who have had no complications. Um, but there is, you know, people would argue they are assessed uh, well beforehand, but it's done in one day uh, when people go over realistically. surgery Yeah, really? my, my experience with patients when I've asked them about it is that they arrange it all, they talk to a representative um, and uh, on, on the, it's all arranged by phone or virtually. And they go over the day before their surgery. They have, you know, a range of blood tests, uh, heart an ECG, heart tracing, uh, potentially an endoscopy to look at their stomach. Count. But their surgery is scheduled for the next day. And I've yet to meet anybody who didn't proceed to surgery. Based on the preoperative test. so mm-hmm. my experience is it's a given that if you go over and you're willing to pay, you're going to get an operation that you've chosen rather than really be guided towards by a team who have your you know absolute best interests at, at heart uh, in terms of your health and have taken all of your you know history into into account. Presumably, so.
0: you're not getting the. The key component, which I totally agree with the you, which is the psychology. Yeah. No,
1: I've never met anybody who's had psychological assessment or preparation for surgery, and that's my biggest concern about yes. it. Is so a lot of people are people are so resilient and they understand their eating behaviors and patterns, and if they feel less hungry and more full, they will lose weight, you know, mm. afterwards. But it's you know, someone, someone, a, mem- a colleague of mine always tells people, so, bariatric surgery won't make you thin and happy. Um, and <laughs> you know, I didn't like it that statement when it's I first though. heard it, yeah. but it's absolutely true. That's Absolutely. so you don't undertake bariatric surgery A to be thin or B to be happy it doesn't achieve either of those things it does achieve weight loss and it improves quality of life but they don't always equate to thinness and happiness Um, so I'd like people to know that I suppose you know it does not do that and it is life changing usually for the better but there's a huge you know psychological overlay to changing someone's relationship with food that dramatically that often people need professional help and support with that they can't do alone and shouldn't have to Mm -hmm. Um, they're offered uh, you know most patients who undergo surgery abroad are offered lifelong follow up there. It's it's marketed and advertised really well, um, but when people go to seek that, all of a sudden it's you know it's a phone call or it's not available, and, and that really worries me about it. Um, and we get the um, fallout from that. Yeah, w- which in our is w- well, what are
0: you seeing? Yeah.
1: So we're seeing, I suppose, the the major impact is on the number of people arriving back with serious complications. So this, I mean, this surgery is really safe. It's as safe as somebody having their gallbladder taken out for the most part, and most people wouldn't think that's a dangerous operation because it isn't. You know, so. Bear just surgery is safe but my my impression of some of the complications I've seen back uh, you know they're uh, I don't know the denominator so I don't know is the rate of complications more than the 1% of major complications we would get mm-hmm. you know which is completely acceptable that's the accepted rate of complications and if it's more than that you need to look and you know you always look to see can you do you know can you avoid yeah. things we do so one hundred absolutely that's the given kind of international accepted rate of major complications for bariatric surgery so because I don't know the denominator I know I'm unable to say if it's 5% yeah or 10% yeah. but with the cost my impression from how inexpensive it is is that corners are being cut somewhere you know I know when we look at the cost of how do you deliver bariatric surgery as lean as possible in terms of the cost of the equipment the theatre time the staff to look after people well um, it's expensive surgery mm. you know the, the the kit we use the absolute best of you know uh, equipment available to do these procedures uh, and that and, costs a good portion and of it money plus
0: it takes time not just for the the. Waiting- but if you're you're in from the time you walk in the door to the time you walk out the door it's probably what two one two years
1: uh, from in over, sort of here uh, in Ireland absolutely from once you it's we do a nine month assessment yeah. you know yeah. monthly visits with yeah. the with the MDT the multidisciplinary team um, and then the surgical episode itself is actually quite short like when someone comes into hospital they are a fit for the most part to go home two days later when there's been no problem um, but again I worry about people travelling there's already a risk one of the it's rare but one of the biggest risks with bariatric surgery is of clotting um, is of a DVT a deep venous thrombosis which is in and vein in the leg and the danger with that is it could travel to the lung um, and if that happens as a PE or a pulmonary embolus that's actually the commonest reason people would die after bariatric surgery so it's less than one in a thousand cases that would happen in but you're adding a flight in on top of that uh, you know um, uh, and it just increases the risk I think uh, unnecessarily um, but you know I've had when I get people back sometimes they actually don't know what operation they've had and we're trying to go through notes and usually well, Turkish I suppose would be the commonest place people would travel to at the moment, Um, trying to decipher what operation has been done by using scans. Um, So it's quite challenging then to treat problems when you really don't understand what was done in the first instance. Um, But yeah, it's it's troublesome and um, like I said, I understand why people do it and I would never discourage someone from getting the best treatment for their health, but I would um, I suppose, advise people that, you know, they really need to be, have a plan in place for if they develop a problem, what are they going to do? At the moment, it's taking days for people to get transferred to, to us because of the pressure on beds. Um, so often they're in, you know, perfectly well looked after in centres around Ireland, but not in a bariatric centre, you know, and where they can't get specialist um, input should that be needed. Um, a lot of the time we're just getting people back or who are experiencing what I would consider quite normal symptoms after Bariatric surgery, but they didn't know to expect them. So for a lot of people, um, they experience nausea, vomiting, and actually, it's just it's often fixed by the dietitian being involved and actually teaching somebody how to eat after bariatric surgery. And that wasn't done. You know, people are told it, but they really you know paid lip service to it. And often people are so you know I don't desperate is brought the wrong mm-hmm. word to use, but intent yeah, on yeah. getting surgery yeah. that they um, you know don't maybe pay in one visit or one phone call. They really don't um get the best I suppose input or preparation for surgery so are left picking up the pieces afterwards it's easier to prepare for it than it is to do the lat- do, do do that to address problems once they've occurred afterwards um, and all that's avoidable you know by having for 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 many patients by um there's some people who even when they're really well prepared they know what to expect they still struggle to adjust to life after bariatric surgery um, and they get through that with the help of a multidisciplinary team um, but the problem the problem we face at the moment is we're getting, you know, on sorts of letters from people's GPs where the clinics that they've gone to said, you know, go back to your GP and get lifelong follow-up. Um, and again, the GP hasn't known the patient has gone, hasn't the resources to do that. So they're sending us letters and we simply don't have the resources. That displaces a patient on our waiting list. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's difficult to manage that. So we can't provide that routine care that people need when they come back from abroad, like, and you know, blood tests, which are quite frequent, four times in the first year after surgery, to check that someone isn't developing vitamin deficiencies I've had people back who are on no vitamins you know and it is important to, and it's international guidance to be on a certain number of supplements after bariatric surgery because people aren't eating enough of their micronutrients in particular to be able to stay well nourished so they do need a supplement regime uh, and it's best practice to to prescribe that and, and to guide them on. and patients have no idea what they should be on and often aren't on any so it could take a year or two to develop symptoms from a nutritional deficiency um, so often we see people later who are at that point, they've iron deficiency anemias and are symptomatic from that. And all that, I think, you know, is is so avoidable. And, um, you know, if people uh, go into it well prepared and, and know what to expect and how to manage it.
0: At this stage, I normally ask people, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you with your with yourself? I'm going to say if people want to find out more about maybe the Loughlin Sound programme. Or their own, if they're listening in, where is it? Is there a, is it a HSC website you go through, or a GP that you go through? I know there is a large waiting list, but you know. Yeah,
1: it's a good. We need to get that prepared. We just so we, we actually we have a very rudimentary website for Lockland's program, and you're absolutely right. I need to, um, to come to, to Instagram that. yourself and Donal.
0: <laughs> don't was saying it off off I said the same. He was like, yeah. it's, seriously, it's like for the 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 expertise that come when I chat to yourself or to Donal is just it's. But, but it needs to be yeah, yeah absolutely. we have
1: um, so the, for the service in St Vincent's private hospital which I work in as well so we have prepared a video um, it's an hour long video freely available on the Vincent's private website that outlines um, I suppose the the important it, it outlines all obesity treatments first and foremost and all of our teams speak to their area of expertise so our dietitian, our psychologist actually also gives a 20 minute talk on you know important psychological aspects to preparing for surgery and living with it afterwards but we do need to do better in terms of putting more resources um, that are, you know, easily and freely available to people, and have absolutely no issue with doing that. It's something. It's on the to-do list. You've,
0: you've a lot to do, in all fairness. And thank you so much for coming in today to give us. What well, has been a fascinating half an hour. If nothing else, you've cleared up the different types of surgery, the pros, the cons, and it's a fascinating insight into your world. So we really appreciate it. Folks, that is it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. You know where we are at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealth at independent.ie. And hopefully you've liked what you've listened to. So don't forget to rate and review. We'll see you next week. Slong a foe.
1: Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Pride sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.